Let's turn to uh, our passage in Hebrews chapter 11. This morning we will finish up this chapter sort of, and I'll explain what I mean by sort of in a minute. So we're going to begin reading in verse 32. But what we plan to do is just take the verses and the phrases uh, bit by bit as we go through rather than read it all at once at the beginning. So as we finish up Hebrews chapter 11, I like to call it, and some, some do as well, the great hall of faith, not hall of fame, but the hall of faith. And you know, as I read it, <clears throat> I'm impressed over and over again reading the stories of men and women who exercised faith in God. One of the things that impresses me the most uh, is that they endured to the end. And I, I grew up in, a, in construction. My dad eventually got into cabinets as a specialty, and I learned the cabinet trade growing up. <clears throat> and the thing that mattered the most was the finish, because that's what people would see. And not that we did a sloppy job on the other parts, but it was the finish that counted, because that's what people saw. And uh, it's true in the life of faith as well. A lot of times in our Christian life, we can stumble, we can fall, the Lord restores us, but really in the end, it's the finish that counts. Are we faithful to the end? Do we have faith in God? And we want to talk about faith that endures this morning. So just as a fresh reminder, some of you haven't been here, so let's just go quickly. If you look at chapter 11, there are a lot of people who are named. At first, we come to Abel, who believed God and offered uh, the required sacrifice. Then we came, we were reminded of Enoch, who pleased God and went to heaven without dying. Then we retold the story of Noah, who believed God's warning and built a ship and escaped the judgment of the flood. Then we took a look at Abraham and his life of faith. He trusted in God for guidance. God told him to leave his country and go somewhere. Didn't know where he was going, but just go. Trust me for the next step. And he went. That's faith. He trusted God for guidance. He lived as a resident alien in the land that was promised to him because he was looking for that city we call heaven. We recited the story of 90-year-old Sarah who trusted God to give her a child, and he did, with a 100-year-old man as good as dead, it says in the Scripture. And we don't forget the patriarchs. Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And then jumping forward in history in this book, we came to Moses' parents who defied the king's command and saved Moses' life. And then Moses himself, who was a great man of faith. We were reminded um, not only of the people, but of the great exploits they did for God, such as the building of the ark, standing up to a pharaoh, the plagues of Egypt, the crossing of the Red Sea on dry land, the walls of Jericho falling down by faith. And we've looked so far at ordinary men and women who had extraordinary faith. 
And we saw them finish well. And that's what we want to look at today, finishing well. So before we get into the passage, this is an appropriate time talking about finishing well. Um, Noah has asked us to allow for anyone who wants to recite Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, to stand up and recite it for us. If anybody's ready for that this morning, go for it. If not, oh, there we go. I have a taker. Great. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, Megan. So if you noticed in that passage, it really ties in well with what we're talking about this morning. It's the endurance, enduring the race, finishing well. Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And had he not finished well, where would we be today? So let's take a look, go back to chapter 11, and we're uh, picking up in, in verse 32, <clears throat> where we left off. The Spirit of God writes, what more shall I say? What more shall I say? Um, for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and so on. We'll get to the rest of that in a few minutes. <clears throat> what more? The Spirit of God is saying, what more shall I say? I've already told you about all of these heroes of faith. What more do you want? How many more examples do you need? Well, I'll give you some. And so he writes some more. And uh, the list really could go on and on. If you need more examples, and we probably do, we can keep going. Even where he finishes, we can keep going. Uh, and so he actually names more Old Testament examples, but there are plenty of Old Testament examples that he just overlooks. He, by, he passes them by. And it's almost like whetting our appetite and saying, look, if you want to do a really, really good study of the Old Testament, then here's one to do in your spare time. It's all about faith. Just look for that from beginning to end in the book of Genesis and look for people who trusted God in every uh, type of circumstance of life and see that they finished well. There are people who live on earth who trust God. Amen. Believe it or not, okay? Okay. And so if you just studied the Old Testament and did your own personal study that way and kept saying, oh, yeah, I see faith here. I see faith there. I see faith here. You'd see it. But then what more, he says, shall I say? He wrote an entire New Testament too. And we have the faith of the believers in the New Testament. And so if we add the New Testament characters such as Joseph and Mary, the disciples, Think of the Syrophoenician woman who, whom Jesus said had great faith, or the centurion who had great faith, and uh, his rebuke, the Lord's rebuke of those who had no faith or little faith. So God is looking for men and women of faith, men and women who will just boldly trust him no matter what. 
And that's what we're talking about. Who can forget the crippled man who went running and leaping and praising God? Or the mute man that spoke? Or the deaf girl that saw? Or I mean, the deaf girl, she saw too, but she heard. <laughs> I'll get it straight. The deaf girl that heard for the first time, or the blind man who saw Jesus, or the dead man who rose, or Lazarus who had been dead for days, and his body stinketh, the old King James says, came out of the grave, bound hand and foot, and Jesus says, release him, you know? Even at the time of writing Hebrews chapter 11, the Spirit of God was not finished working through men and women of faith. We've, we'd have to add the women and the men of faith who have lived down through the last 2,000 years as well, because they're men and women of faith too. Time will fail us to tell of Clement of Rome, or Ignatius of Antioch, or Polycarp of Smyrna, and Justin Martyr. And then if we fast forward uh, to more recent history, we could add all kinds of people, John and Charles Wesley, Martin Luther, Dwight L. Moody, George Mueller, Charles Spurgeon, Harry Ironside, William MacDonald, who was living right among us here, Corey Tenboom, Gladys Aylward, and on and on the list would go. Men and women of faith, men and women who said, you know what, God can be trusted. Look, I trusted him and I'm a nobody. I'm weak, I'm little but I trusted God and look what he did through me. The same thing applies to us. And so God is still writing Hebrews chapter 11 this morning in the lives of the believers here at Calvary. So let's look at the last few verses of, of Hebrews 11. What I'd like you to do this morning is to kind of use your imagination as we go through this. Put yourself in the sandals of these men and women of faith. And what would you do if you were these people. <clears throat> First one is Gideon. Let's go back to Judges chapter 6. And we're just going to go through this pretty quickly. Joshua, Judges chapter 6. Okay. The story of Gideon is found in the book of Judges. And um, let's just read for a couple of verses. Chapter 6, verse 1. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord... So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves dens and caves and strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was pretty tough times. The Israelites in verse 6 cried out to the Lord. And then we read further that the Lord appeared to a man whose name was Gideon. And this is what he says. Take a look at verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And I can just imagine Gideon getting this, uh, this uh, revelation from God. And he goes, who, me? You know, because that's about how he responds in this chapter. So look what he says. Gideon said to him, oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the mir his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? And so on. And so Gideon is basically saying, wait a minute, you're saying that you're going to deliver us, but we've seen no evidence of that. 
And, you know, we've heard great stories. And, you know, really that's our, kind of our position in a sense today, isn't it? We've just read all these stories, these great stories, including the one he mentions here of God delivering uh, Israel out of Egypt. And we say, Lord, where, where is your work today? Where are you working today? We've heard about it. We just spent three weeks talking about it. Where is the God of Abraham? Where is the God of Moses? Where is the God of Joshua? Where is the God of Rahab? It's kind of the same questioning. And the Lord's response to Gideon was, have I not sent you? Oh. <laughs> okay, it's not where's Abraham anymore or Isaac or Jacob or Moses. Where are you in the life of faith? Judges 6.14, go in this might of yours. And you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? And so he's appealing to Gideon to exercise faith in God, and God will use him. So the question is not, where is God? The question is, where are you in your life of faith? And this was God's call for Gideon. So we don't have time to read it all, but I'll just summarize it for you. Gideon responded then this way, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest clan. And in my clan, I am the weakest in my father's house. And maybe that's been your response. And you've said, here am I, Lord. When you hear God's call, here I am, Lord. Send my sister. You know, here I am, Lord. Send somebody else. But the Lord is calling you. You say, well, I can't move forward. I'm too weak. I'm the youngest. I'm the littlest. I'm the smallest. I'm the weakest. Those are the people God uses. The Lord responded to him and said, surely I will be with you. And you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. So if the Lord is with Gideon, if the Lord is with you, he's all you need. What more do you need? The Lord showed him a sign that he was with him, and the Lord then tested his faith. And the first test of faith was this, Gideon, your father is an idolater, and he has set up an altar, and he is worshiping a false god. Go knock it down. He's my father. And so he did it. He did it at night. He did it in secret, but he still did it. That was faith. Weak faith? Let me ask you. How would you have responded? Okay, that's the question. He did it. That's faith. And you know, sometimes the first test a Christian faces, the test of faith, is really against their own family. I know many people who have come out of false religions, and they have had to stand firm on the Word of God, stand firm on the truth of salvation by grace, not of works. And it's rubbed their family the wrong way. But it's a first test, a test of faith. What would you have done? Gideon's faith was growing. The next test, God uh, called him to, to do something more. And he goes, wow, that's a big test. Lord, I have a fleece. I want to test if it's really you calling me to do this. And you say, well, that's just weakness. Really? How many of you have used a fleece? I don't mean a literal fleece, but kind of said, Lord, if you're really asking me to do this, this is huge to me, okay? Be honest, I have, okay? So it's, it's not unusual 
to say, Lord, honestly, I'm weak in faith. I really am. I, I, I'm, I hear you. I want to do your will. Just, I just ask you to verify what you're telling me. That's all. Just verify it. And that's what he did twice. And the Lord answered. Graciously, he answered. And the Lord often meets us where we're at in our faith. If we have weak faith, he'll strengthen it. If we have great faith, he'll expand it. Okay? So he often meets us where we're at. And Gideon called, the Lord called him to, to call an army together to go and to defeat the Gideonites. And so he did. He sent out you know, invitations to all of the, uh, the tribes, and he, or to the tribes, and he said, come, we're going to go fight. And they came, 32,000 of them, a lot of people. And um, they showed up. And the Lord said, no, this isn't how you're going to defeat the, the Midianites. And so I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things. First of all, go to these people, the 32,000 of them, and, ask, and just say to them, look, if anyone here is afraid, if anyone of here, here is fearful, Go home. Okay? How many do you think left? 22,000 of them said, ah, that's me. And they, pew, off they went. 10,000 were left. And the Lord said, it's still too many. And so you've just reduced your army down to one-third of its original size. That's, that's like, okay, we're going to go and fight this great Midian uh, people? I don't know. Lord, what would you do? What would you do? Would you follow? Would you keep going? And the Lord said, now I want it, one more test. And the test was to see how they would drink water at the brook. And based on that test, he was left with 300 men. That's it. 300 men. Less than 1% of its former size. You know, if we have a record attendance at Calvary and we were to bust out the doors and put people over there too and we could squeeze in 200 people and say, okay, now we have a group of people that can go out and reach the community for Christ. And the Lord says, no, 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 that's too many. I want you to get down to less than 1% of the size of the 200. That's two people. One and three quarters maybe. Okay, but we'll take the full two, okay? Two people. And so he said, now with this group, I want you to go and defeat the Midianites. And I don't want you taking swords. I want you to go out with pitchers. And I want you to go out with trumpets. Okay, this is less than the people Joshua had marching around the walls. And if you think this was not a big deal, it says in uh, verse 12 of chapter 7, that the Midianites were in a valley and they were as numerous as locusts and their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude. That's what he was up against with 300 people without swords. And that night the Lord defeated the Midianites with torches and trumpets. You know the story. The Midianites actually fought themselves and destroyed themselves from within. If we uh, go to chapter 7... And we read verse 14. I want to just show you where his faith really came clear. His companion answered and said, verse 14, chapter 7, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon and the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. This is the Midianites speaking. 
And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped, he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. That's the faith that Midian had. And God honored it by defeating the Midian army. So God took Gideon where he was in faith. He tested him, he stretched him, and then used him to defeat the enemies of God's people. He first tested him in something relatively small, and then he passed that test, and then the Lord expanded it. And the Lord does the same to us. I want you this week to look for tests of faith, where God is testing you to trust him. Trust him, and he'll give you more, and you'll grow in faith. Trust in the Lord. For he's training you right now for even greater exploits. Okay, the next person is Barak. And Barak is actually a couple chapters before this. We don't know a lot about Barak. But we do know, once again, that Israel had done evil in the sight of God. And Israel was defeated by Jabin, the king of Canaan. And Jabin had a commander of his army whose name was Sisera. And Sisera had command of an army that had 900 iron chariots. I mean, this was the strength of the Canaanites. And he harshly oppressed Israel for 20 years. There was a ruler or a judge in Israel at the time, and her name was Deborah. She was a godly woman, and she was also a prophetess. And God spoke to her on a certain day and commanded her to call Barak, and to deploy him against the enemy. And the Lord's command was that he was to take 10,000 men from two, just two of the tribes of Israel and go up and defeat Sisera and his 900 iron chariots. It really appeared to be a suicide mission. Okay, Would you do it? If God called you, would you do it? It's an impossible situation. But because the Lord commanded, he believed God. But Barak did not want to go alone. And in verse 18, he says, If you will go, saying to Deborah, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And so, although he had faith that God was going to use him, he didn't want to go without Deborah, the prophetess, a woman. You say, What's wrong with that? Well, God called him. He didn't call Deborah. And so Deborah, even though he had faith, Deborah saw the faith that he had. She, she recognized it, and she said she would go, but she said, you will not receive the credit for victory in this battle. It will be given to a woman because you really haven't trusted God fully. You've trusted him, but not all the way. So he did go out. And uh, they did the battle, and the woman was a woman of faith named Jael. And Sisera, in his uh, being worn out by the battle, came to her tent and wanted to rest. And as she, he slept, she took a tent peg and a hammer and put it through his skull and killed him. And she is the one who was credited with victory that day. Barak was a man of faith, but he did not obtain the full reward due to his timidity, his fearfulness. 
The Bible says to us in the New Testament, God has not given us the spirit of fear. If you are fearful, if you are afraid, that is not from God. God doesn't give us that spirit. God does not give us the spirit of fear, or the word is timidity, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, 2 Timothy 1.7. What would you do if you were Barak? Suppose a godly woman encouraged you to step out and trust the Lord for some victory in your life, and you say, well, I'll do that as long as you hold my hand. Okay, that's what he was saying. Now, you've still stepped out in faith. You've still done what the Lord wanted from you. And God credits him with faith. He's in the hall of faith. And he'll credit you with faith as well. But the full reward that God wanted for you is not given to you. It's given to others. Now, it's not wrong to have a support team. It's not wrong or evil to have help. But if God is calling you, his calling is your enabling. The Bible says this, I love this verse, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41.10. God, God's promise is his enabling. We can count on him. Okay, the next one in our list of Hebrews 11 is Samson. Wow, Samson. The fact that the Holy Spirit of God chose to include Samson in this list of the Hall of Faith is quite surprising to me. It's remarkable. Because when we speak of Samson, when we remember Samson, we generally don't remember him for faith. We generally remember him for his incredible strength and his incredible weakness for women. We know that Samson was set apart by the Lord from his birth. He was a Nazarite and was not permitted to cut his hair. It was a symbol of the strength that God gave him. And uh, Samson became a judge in Israel. When you read the story in the Bible of Samson, really at times his behavior seems almost adolescent, uh, naive, you know, and I think, wow. But Samson still knew in spite of all of his failings, he still knew that his power came from God. It was not his. God used him over and over again to uh, valiantly defeat the Philistines, multiple occasions. But his weakness for women became his downfall, and it cost him dearly. There was a time when finally he gave in, And uh, he revealed the secret of his power. His hair was cut. He was seized by the Philistines. His eyes were gouged out. And he was held basically as a prisoner. In fact, he was really held as a sideshow, almost like a circus sideshow. And it says that in the scripture, not circus, but it says in Judges 16.25, the Philistines would call for him and say, call for Samson that he may perform for us. And so it was these acts of great strength that he would put on for them. But in the end, and this is what we have to look at, the finish. Remember, the finish is what counts. Samson called out to the Lord. There was a time when all of the the leaders of the Philistines came together for this great party. And they came to the palace of their God or the temple of of the Philistines. And 
Samson was chained between two pillars, basically the two support pillars of the entire building, and he was chained to both pillars on either side. 3,000 men and women, the the aristocracy, I can't even say it, aristocracy, there we go, of the Philistines were there, and in faith he prayed, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And with one move, he pushed against the pillars to such an extent that the building collapsed around him. He perished, and 3,000 others perished that night. And he killed more in that one act than during the entire life that preceded it. By faith, Samson brought down the building on the enemies of God. When I think of Samson, it, it causes me to pause and to remember that even a man who had terrible lapses, terrible moral lapses, finally returned to the Lord. He finally came back to the Lord, and the Lord used him once again. The next person listed in Hebrews 11 is Jephthah, and we honestly don't know much about Jephthah, apart from the fact that he delivered the people of God from Ammonites, and that was enough for him to be included in this list. David is next, and of course, he's a more familiar character to us. And there are many, many outstanding um, events or examples of faith in David's life. Uh, We can't possibly cover them all, but I'll remind you of a few. David, one day as a young man, again, the Lord tests a person in his youth or when he's young in the Lord, and if he passes that faith test, the Lord gives him more. So one of the faith tests, he was a shepherd taking care of sheep, his father's sheep, and one day a lion came and took one of the sheep, and David pursued the lion, captured the lion, killed the lion with his bare hands, and saved the sheep. He said, wow, that's great. Heroic. That was faith. Try it sometime. See if you have enough faith to do something like that. I wouldn't want to go up against the lion, but he did. And so that was the first test. Then there was, a, then there was another test like it. It was a bear that did the same thing, and he defeated the bear. And those tests of faith early on in David's life were the tests that gave David courage in the Lord to help him defeat Goliath, the enemy of the Israelites. And you know the story. Everybody knows the story of David and Goliath. With one smooth stone, he takes out Goliath, and Goliath comes tumbling down. You say, well, he didn't have that great a faith because he took five smooth stones. Now, he only used one. But he had five, so he was really not dependent on the Lord, was he? Well, people who say that don't know the rest of the Scripture, because Goliath had brothers, okay? And he was prepared. He was prepared not only to take out Goliath, but his brothers too. They were all giants. So David was a prepared man, a man of faith, a man whose heart was after God's own heart. David defeated the Philistines on numerous other occasions. He demonstrated faith in God to protect him from Saul. Saul was chasing him over and over again. God protected him. David had faith that God would. David recognized God's provision for him. David trusted God to supply all of his needs. You remember the most famous psalm in the Bible is, the Lord is my shepherd. 
I shall not want. Why does he say that? He's saying, God, you will supply all my need. David was a man who uh, spoke of heaven, things future, as if they were present. He says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Okay, that's faith. He trusted God. David had his defeats, but his faith in God's forgiveness and his restoration is a shining example of hope to all believers who have failed. Read Psalm 51 and you'll see that. David is remembered as a man of faith and a man after God's own heart. Then there's Samuel. He's the next one. From the, very, from the time he was a very young child and he heard God's voice speaking to him, right through to the very last breath, Samuel is an outstanding example of a man of faith, <clears throat> so much so that he defeated the enemies. You say, well, he wasn't a military man. No, he wasn't. The enemies weren't enemies without, outside, enemies from within. That's who uh, he stood up against. He stood up for righteousness among the people of God. And you think about Samuel. You know, we often think when we talk about faith of, of uh, defeating enemies and destroying this and destroying that, which they did. But sometimes faith is, is seen in just standing up for righteousness. Just taking a righteous stand on issues. That's faith. Standing up against evil. Standing up against compromise. Standing up against false teaching or idolatry or immorality and other things like it. We need men and women of faith like Samuel today who have faith in God to stand against the tide, to stand against sin, to speak the truth in love, and to never compromise. That's faith. And then he lumps every prophet together in three words, and the prophets. <laughs> they were all men of faith. All the prophets are lumped together with that phrase. But the Spirit of God is indicating, again, like I said earlier, that if we ever do a study of the Old Testament... Uh, we need to see that faith is the feature that marks the man or woman that God uses. Faith in God says, God, I believe you no matter what. And the prophets were hated. And the prophets were rejected. The prophets were beaten and stoned. And yet they still remained true in their faith in God. Enduring to the end. No wonder Jesus says in Matthew 5... 11 and 12, blessed are you when, you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Do you believe that? That God has a reward in heaven for those who take a righteous stand against evil. And that's what they did. So those are some of the people, but what are some of the exploits that were done by people of faith? It says next in the passage, and we'll just go it phrase by phrase, okay? By faith, they subdued kingdoms. I'm going to give you just names. Joshua, the judges, David, and others in the Old Testament. We're not going to exhaust the list. By faith, they worked righteousness. And we think immediately, I think immediately of the righteous kings. When you think about Israel's history, you have 
righteous kings and unrighteous kings. And it, were, it was the righteous kings that stood up, and they worked righteousness. They uh, tore down the uh, idolatrous uh, idols and the temples or the, the, the uh, groves where people would worship false gods. They went at it in a righteous way. And that's what he's saying here. And I think of some of the kings that are listed in that, in that list. Solomon, Asa, Jehoshaphat, Joaz, Hezekiah, Josiah, all righteous kings. They worked righteousness. It's, next, it says, by faith they obtained promises. Think about the promises that God made to people in the Old Testament and how God fulfilled those promises. And they believed that God would do that from women who were promised children and got them in this life. David, who was promised an everlasting kingdom that's still to come. Solomon was promised a temple and he built it and dedicated it in his lifetime. Some received the promises during their lives. Others saw the promise afar off and claimed that promise anyway. That's faith. By faith, they stopped the mouths of lions. Who's the first person that comes to your mind? Daniel in the lion's den. Were there others? David and Samson. Okay? So you have uh, the... the um, Faith uh, exercised by stopping the mouth of lions. Then by faith, it says they quenched the violence of fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all stood in the fiery furnace. And they basically said, oh, king, we're not going to bow down to your idol. And they said, well, you're going to be thrown in the fire. We may be thrown into the fire. God is able to deliver us. And even if God doesn't deliver us, we're not going to bow down to your idol. Okay, we're going to remain faithful to the end. Faith that endures. By faith they escaped the edge of the sword. I think of David who had a spear thrown at him multiple times. Elijah escaped from Jezebel. Elisha was delivered from the king of Syria. And in our current age, I think of uh, children that I know pretty well that, were, that escaped the pointed end of a gun. You know, I mean, in, in the midst of their of the act, they go, okay, we'll give you what we have, but there's still a crying out to God in it, okay? That's faith. God, deliver me. By faith, out of weakness, we're made strong. Weakness uh, is, is kind of the, the um, classic uh, or, the, or the base of, of the book of Judges, where God over and over again, shows you the weakness of Israel, and then he takes a weak leader and does phenomenal things through that weak leader. That's what the whole book of Judges is about. And you know, in 1 Corinthians, it says this, but God is not, no, pardon me, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. By faith, next, it says they came, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Again, the judges, David, David's mighty men, Jonathan, Elijah, against the prophets of Baal. We could just go on and on with stories of faith. And then it says, by faith, women received their dead, raised to life again. Who can you think of who received children back from the dead? 
just, just imagine how remarkable this is, okay? A child back from the dead, the widow of Zarephath by Elijah, the woman of Shunem by Elisha, the New Testament widow of Nain, whose child was on the coffin, basically they call it a, a board essentially. They're taking him out to bury him and the Lord stops him and raises him from the dead. The mother and the father, but the mother in this case we're talking about, of the little girl who's lying in her bed just having died. And Jesus says, little girl, I say to you, arise. And she, she gets up. I think of, the, um, of Mary and Martha receiving their brother back from the dead, Lazarus. We often only view victory as the evidence of faith. You know, healings, resurrections, military conquests, harrowing escapes from death and the like. But verses 35 through 38 kind of tell us a different story. It's not just those things that are evidence of faith. Verses 35 tell us that faith may result in torture, imprisonment, temptation, and even death. But those who stand for Christ and suffer for his sake are counted as faith heroes too. Paul had faith to heal others, yet the Lord chose not to heal him. And yet he was a man of faith. Paul healed others, yet left Trophimus uh, sick in Miletus. He counseled Timothy to drink a little wine for his stomach's sake and the constant stomach infirmities that he had. Paul suffered great affliction, beatings, trouble, shipwreck, and so on. But this was not due to a lack of faith, but evidence that he trusted God in the harshest circumstances of life, that even there, God can be trusted. We also have to remember that we have an enemy, and the enemy is Satan. And he is the accuser of the brethren. And one of the ways that Satan accuses the brethren, he comes before God, and we know this because this is what he did in Job's case. And he says, look, God, here's the problem. The only reason that Job loves you and serves you is because you've given him everything. You take away what he has, and I'll show you that he doesn't love you at all. Now, what would you do in that circumstance? If Satan accused you before the Lord and says, the only reason that Don loves you is because look what you've given him in life. Take it away and see if he still loves you. Take away what's precious to him. See if he still loves you. The Lord says, okay, go at it. I don't mind this test. If he's a man or a woman of faith, go at it. But he puts limits, okay? And the Lord does. He says he will never, ever, ever allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able. But with the temptation, he'll provide a way of escape that we might be able to endure it. There's that word again. Endurance to the end. And so we're faced with a trial. We're faced with something. We're faced with a loss. Something precious to us is taken away, and Satan says, I'm going to do my best to make that man fall. I'm going to do my best to make her fall. And God says, go ahead. And when we are in that situation, we say, Lord, I trust you anyway. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
<laughs> That's faith, brothers and sisters. That's faith. Satan says, well, let me touch his body. Let me hurt him physically, and then he'll curse you. No, he didn't. He still trusted God. But I want you to see, as we pull back the curtain in this life of faith, that it's not just circumstances that are happening to us. We are faced with an enemy. But I want to assure you, brothers and sisters, again, that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Demonstration of faith. The Holy Spirit now draws our attention to those who suffered. And he says, And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And I think of the prophets and the disciples. I think of a, recently of a Romanian pastor, Richard Wormbrand, who spent 14 years in a communist prison for his belief in Jesus Christ and his public proclamation of his faith. He suffered months of solitary confinement, physical torture, hunger and cold, mental cruelty, brainwashing at the hands of his captors, and yet he was faithful to the end. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and chains and imprisonment. Joseph, Jeremiah, Paul, and Silas, Paul by himself in prison, and many people, many Christians down through the ages who have been imprisoned for the sake of Christ. They were stoned. Zechariah comes to mind. They were sawn in two. It is tradition that Isaiah was sawn in two by King Manasseh. We're tired of hearing you, Isaiah. Get out a saw and cut him in half. And he did. They were tempted. And yet, by faith, they resisted temptation, like Joseph. They didn't compromise their faith. They were slain with the sword. And this refers really to mass slaughter of believers. And you say, well, that's ancient history. No, it's not. 2016, one Christian group that is extremely conservative in their numbers says there were 7,000 verified martyrs in 2016. That's a very low number. Another site says, no, it's actually closer to 90,000 who were killed last year, 2016, for Christians for the sake of Christ. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Jesus said, blessed are you poor. Blessed are you who hunger now. Blessed are you when you are persecuted. And all these men and women of faith made faith choices. Notice the phrase, of whom the world was not worthy. You know, the world treats believers shamefully, showing that it places no value on the lives of his saints. The world might say, you are not worthy to live. And God writes, no. That's not the way it is. You, world, are not worthy of these saints of mine. God sets the record straight that the world is not worthy of them. Men and women have stood on planet Earth, and the people 
have rejected Christians in the same way they reject Jesus Christ. If you take a stand for Christ, you can expect to be persecuted, but will you stand and will you endure? And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Whether they lived, pardon me, whether they had faith and lived or they had faith and were killed, the fact is they all had faith in God. And their faith endured to the end, whether they received the promise fulfilled or not. They longed, in the Old Testament, to see the day when the Messiah would come. And they died not having seen them. But we have been granted that privilege, not of seeing the Messiah, but of knowing who he is. The coming of the Lord for the Old Testament saints was still a future prospect, as it is for us. And they believed God's word to be true, that one day, we say from the scripture, Jesus is coming back again to receive us to himself. Do you believe it? Then show it by your lives. Show it in the way you live. And, you'll, and that's faith. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. God has provided something better for us. What is it? Well, <laughs> we have received a much greater privilege than the Old Testament saints ever did. We are part of the church. They weren't. We are part of Christ's body. They weren't. They looked forward to the promise of the coming of Messiah. We look back knowing his name. Jesus Christ. We look back at the finished work of Christ on the cross and we stake our claim by faith that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us and we can have eternal life. They saw the promise afar off. We see it as an accomplished fact. The real question is, if the Old Testament saints who lived with only partial light lived by faith how much more should we who have seen in a sense the full revelation live by faith live in total abandonment to the Lord and enduring to the end he says but they had to wait for us is really what he's saying here that uh, they should not be made perfect apart from us what he's saying here is this that God did not allow them to see the fulfillment of their promise because he was waiting for us to be born. He was waiting for us to exercise faith in him of this generation and the generations after them that we should come to know the Lord and trust in him and that we together should be perfected with them. Okay, that's really what he's saying here that um, we will be glorified in the resurrection just as they are glorified. We will all be glorified together in the presence of the Lord. So we kind of come to full circle here. The book of Hebrews, as Noah has been pointing out to us, is a uh, book where the Christians of that day and age were deeply troubled by the persecution they were facing, and some were, were so fed up with it or so afraid of it or so worn out by it that they just thought they should abandon their faith and turn back. And the Holy Spirit of God has given them and us 
scores of examples of believers who had faith and never turned back. For those who are in danger of abandoning their faith, this chapter stands in a position to guard our hearts from turning back and not trusting in the Lord. Our faith will be tested. Those who have genuine faith will endure to the end. The prize in a race is not in running it. It's not in getting partway through it. The prize is at the end of the race. Those who endure to the end. With such pillars of faith who have preceded us, we are left really without excuse, honestly, if we do not follow in the trail that they have blazed before us. And I want to just end with one verse from Nahum chapter 1. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is, <clears throat> excuse me, the Lord is good. If you're in a trial, if you're facing temptation, if you're suffering, the Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. Trust in him with all your heart. Okay? Let's pray. The meeting will be over. Father, we come before you. We thank you so much for this chapter of faith. It's a tremendous encouragement to our hearts as we think of how you worked through people just like us, people who had all kinds of faults and failings and weaknesses, and yet, Lord, you use them. They exercised faith in you and did great exploits for you. And we ask you, Lord, to, to show us how we might live uh, by faith as well. Lord, test us in small areas that we might be used in greater areas down the way. Lord, we want to be used by you. We want to serve you. We want to be men and women of faith, and we want to endure to the end. May it be so for your name's sake. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.